Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is April 14th, 2017, the day after exit interviews. My name is Phil Prostenreich. I'm the uh, site, uh, site expert and editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. And it is time to begin the autopsy of not just this year, but the last five years of the Orlando Magic as the Magic have fired Rob Hennigan. You can go back into our archives and listen to my immediate reaction to the firing up on Locked On Magic, uh, on the Locked On Magic feed on iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, all the fun places that you can download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. And I am joined today for a much longer conversation on both this season and the bigger picture with the Orlando Magic by Orlando Magic Daily contributor Zach Palmer. Zach, as Jalen Rose likes to say, we've got to give the people what they want. I am here, and I am ready to hopefully fulfill the hopes and the needs of the people because we are <laughs> severely lacking that right now. Yeah, def- uh, definitely. And I think uh, I think more than anything, uh, this season has been a season of just pure frustration um, and pure, <laughs> I guess that's pure magic. Uh, that was that was done unintentionally. I, I, I realized that as I was putting it out there. Um uh, that I was that I was towing the towing the party line a little bit, but uh, um, let's let's start with the small picture, and we'll slowly go back out. Um, you know, I guess first, I guess first we should start with the news. Uh, Rob Hennigan getting getting fired uh, today, along with assistant GM Scott Perry. Uh, what were your initial thoughts? This, this all seemed this seemed inevitable at this point, especially with the way this this year went. I mean, it definitely seemed inevitable. I am about as big a Rob Hennigan supporter as you can find, but there's, I mean, you can't really excuse a season like this. Um, And we'll get into probably a a much greater detail later of the whole five years and what happened. But like, it's hard to justify being able to keep him on for another year after how this season turned out, regardless of the situations. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, You know, I'm probably a a Rob Hennigan supporter too. uh, You know, if you follow me on Twitter at Omagic daily, um, I will defend a lot of the moves that he's made. Not all of them. There are definitely some indefensible moves, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the show. Uh, But this season to me was, it felt very much like do or die for the playoffs. And as anyone will tell you, this is a results-driven league. You either produce or you perish. And to, to go from 35 wins last year invest so much into the team in free agency and with player personnel um, because you can't view that in a vacuum because we're going back to the Tobias Harris trade, which was done to set up free agency. Um, To to do all of that and not even improve on your win total, and I'm not saying that Hennigan would have kept his job if they were at 36 wins today rather than 29, uh, to to take such a big step back, I think it's just unacceptable. Like someone has to pay for that mistake. And uh, more than anything, it, it felt like the rebuild had kind of just petered out, like that we had reached a natural end where assets had been used and the team had reached sort of a dead end almost because they, they put everything into the middle of the pot this year and, and came out with nothing. I mean, I think that's definitely where we're at. It kind of felt like almost the same as when they decided to fire Jock Vaughn. It was like they knew things weren't working and it was time to move on and I think we just reached the natural second conclusion after you know what happened after Jacques Vaughn was fired and you know it's just it's a shame that it the era didn't go the way that they had planned and I think that luck has a part to do with it uh there are and obviously other things um maybe bigger things that are still a problem had a lot to do with it but this season was a complete letdown and even you know a lot of people that pay attention to basketball thought that this team would struggle. And I wasn't huge on the idea that they would be great this year, but I this this whatever happened this year 
I could have never foreseen coming at all. I, I did not see the team not being able to play defense. Yeah, <laughs> I still can't explain that. I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you. I, I was gonna ask that big question, like what went wrong on the defensive end, because um, I think that was the story of of the year. I mean, I, I remember sitting here on this podcast um, for for the Locked On NBA podcast show on the Locked On NBA show. Uh, I did my five minutes on the Magic before the season. And I sat here and said, you know, the Magic are banking solely on their defense. They, they've, they've looked at the they've looked at the numbers, they've looked at the strategy, and they said, you know, if you get a top ten defense, you pretty much can get into the playoffs without an elite offense. Uh, and and that was, I guess, the old way of thinking a little bit with the NBA how it's going today. But uh, they they banked so much on their defense, and when that collapsed, the, the whole house of cards came down with it, uh, and, and you end up with a season like this. I mean, I I think. I think at the beginning of the year, I thought 32 was their floor. I thought they would be somewhere between 32 and 42 wins, and I believed that pro- that they were more talented than they were before uh, before from last season. Uh, but again, it just never came around. And, and obviously, I think they even just they even fell below like even the the bleakest expectations of at least for Magic fans for the season. I yeah they did and I mean the offense okay we kind of could guess that it was going to struggle uh it was even worse when you know Aaron Gordon started out the season and I don't know what was going on with him but the I mean, ball he had movement that ankle was gone and, yeah and in an exit interview today that. he suggested it was much worse than you know even I think we realized at the beginning of the season yeah and then I like think he, I think he even said at one point like a month ago he finally feels healthy again for the first time like he feels 100% healthy for the first time and he had that he had the bone bruise in February that that kind of slowed him down during the all-star break yeah um, the dunk contest. Aaron's had some Aaron's had some bad injury luck and I, I feel like but you know when he started the season there was a lot of learning his new position out and a lot of his learning his new position since he didn't get to play it very much was maybe throwing up some ill-advised jump shots that didn't necessarily need to go down and uh, I don't. I don't want to say he learned that from other players on the Magic that have veteran influence, but I'll just say that there was a lot of veteran influence that kind of did the same exact thing that he was doing out on the perimeter. So, I mean, the offense was a disaster. The defense, again, it's still hard to dissect what happened there, other than the fact that none of the perimeter players, besides Aaron Gordon, when he was playing the perimeter, couldn't stay in front of every, anybody. But that part I can't explain because those guys should be able to stay in front of other players. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's been a constant problem like I mean Nikola Vucevic probably played his best defensive season of his career but Vucevic still has his no matter how good Vucevic is he still has defensive limitations you're always his defensive ability is always going to be capped just because of natural talent it's not this isn't a knock on him it's just kind of reality and so when and I think this was a big problem last year too when the guards can't keep their man in front of them you're putting Vucevic on an island, and and he was better about it this year than he was last year. But he's still he's not Rudy Gobert. He's not going. You, you, you can't get beat. He's not Rudy Gobert. He's not Dwight Howard. You know, or prime Dwight Howard. He he can't get beat and just expect him to clean it up and recover. And I think that's what we saw. Like there was he was. I mean, maybe besides Aaron. And Biombo's not that either. I'll, I'll also be. Clear. Oh my goodness, uh, Biombo. I don't like. I was huge on him coming in the season. And like, I knew that like in the post that he would be, he's a little small. He's strong, but he's a little small. So he could get abused in the post. Not a big deal in today's NBA. Not too many players post up. That's, you know, it's what it is, but I don't know what happened as far as help defense this year for him, because he went out on switches and a lot of those shots that he used to block that he was blocking last year. And a lot of, you know, just in general help rotations, he just wasn't there. And it really, I think the team was banking on it, him being elite, and he wasn't. Uh, I And personally, I mean, if you ask me still, who would you rather have as your prototypical five going forward? I'm going to pick Biombo because I think he can still play defense in pick-and-roll situations, which is about, you know, the NBA is really reliant on pick-and-roll offense right now with explosive point guards. And um, Vucevic improved a lot but that's still the area where he is just never going to be able to max out anything. I mean, he's already maxed out, honestly, if you ask me what happened this year. Uh, he became a lot more active with his hands, and that helped him a lot. Yeah. And he came and, a lot and better Vogel with angles. taught him verticality really well, too. 
Yeah, exactly. He was really good at all that stuff this year, but I, I don't know how much more you can squeeze out of him on that end. And this was probably about as good as he'll get, and that's as good as he's going to get. I don't think it's good enough to make him your starting center moving forward, especially with poor perimeter defenders. Yeah, um, and, and I think, honestly, I think one of the big miscalculations, this came out a lot during uh, exit interviews today, uh, the NBA just changed so much overnight. And uh, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are looking back on it. Was one of the, I mean, besides Aaron Gordon getting played out of position, was one of the problems that the Magic tried to kind of go big? I mean, they always said we're, we're kind of zigging where everyone's zagging. And uh, uh, Vogel even said during exit interviews today uh, that they he supported the Serge Ibaka deal because Ibaka had the versatility to guard guys on, on the perimeter, and they thought they could mm-hmm. then use his size on offense. And, and obviously that kind of flamed out, that, that that didn't really work. That didn't really happen for uh, whatever reason, whether it was you know Ibaka had an early season knee injury that maybe slowed him down, or maybe just the league just transformed overnight. I mean, and we were talking before the podcast. Um, this is the worst defensive season in the NBA since 1995. I, I think... It is the uh, – when I was doing some research on this, it was like the highest average defensive rating since like the – since 1980, since before the 1980 season. And it was the highest defensive – best – or the, the team with the best defensive rating in the league. It was their highest mark since 1995 when the NBA moved the three-point line in a foot and a half to try and increase scoring. I, you know – Game has changed, and that's that's pretty obvious. Uh, I think as far as the struggles go from going big, um, I'll be honest. Uh, I didn't care for the Ibaka trade when it started, and it made a lot less sense when they signed Biombo. I assumed they were going to move Vucevic, and I was like, all right, well, we'll play some Biombo, and then we'll play some Ibaka at center, and we'll give Ibaka some you know spot power coordinates while Aaron switches between the two. Uh, it didn't happen. It, it definitely should have, obviously, based on the way things played out, but... Ibaka just couldn't stay in front of guys on the perimeter. Um, stretch fours, he couldn't stay on them at all. He was getting abused pretty pretty consistently. Um, and it was weird because, you know, you watched him in the playoffs last year, and he was a freaking terror. And you just go, well, where did they go all in one offseason? And I don't know if it was continuity or if it's just because it wasn't the playoffs. I felt like he would have had a chip on his shoulder since he was supposed to be the guy now. Um, but it's possible he just got a step slower because – you know, people have been saying he's been getting a step slower for the last couple of years, and I didn't necessarily believe it. But if I watched it this year, I would tell you that it looked like he certainly was a step slower. Yeah. Um, and then, like again, playing Vucevic and Biombo together—that was—I I, I don't never—I'll never understand the rationale behind that one. That never made any sense. Yeah, um, I, I I agree completely, especially when when you have a perfectly good Aaron Gordon who can play some power <laughs> forward. That that they never before the trade they. Uh, I think it they was, refused. What, two per, it was 2% of his minutes before the trade where, was at power forward. It was just like, you're, I mean, and, and, and in fairness, you know, we were kind of warned. Pacers fans told us Frank Vogel's really kind of stubborn about his rotations. He's not going to switch his rotations up as quickly as fans will want. And that yeah. proved to be pretty true. He stuck pretty much to his guns. He was a little more patient than maybe we'd want. Um, trying to figure out what was right when something clearly wasn't working. He kind of made sure it wasn't working before making a decision, which, you know, he would say, I guess, that, you know, we're, we wanted to explore our idea before we moved on from it. And, well, when your idea doesn't work to begin with, you got to know you need to <laughs> shift focus pretty quickly. Um, we talked a lot about the bigs, uh, you know, and, and the perimeter defense for the guards was was obviously not there either. But, you know, Having to ask Evan Fournier to step into a bigger role, or I mean, how what happened on that? What what do you what do you see as a problem on on that end? Is it simply just a matter of not having the top end talent that they need, or not having a, a strong offensive scheme, which isn't Vogel's forte? Um, what what do you, what did you see from from the guards this year that that either gives you pause or? You know, makes me think. Okay, this is this is where the Magic need to work to to improve their roster right now. So definitely, from I mean, the aspect of offense, um, everything needs to be fixed. The talent is lacking significantly. I mean, I think they could have done better with the talent they had, and they did towards the end of the season, which just kind of adds to the point that everything was going wrong to begin the season. Um, but like El, uh, Evan Fournier being the main playmaker 
And I mean, I don't want to be mean, but it flopped pretty badly. And he just, he's a good, he is a great role player. All I even say he's a great role player. You put him on the Spurs in a system where they're moving the ball and all he's got to do is either shoot that open three or drive. He's going to kill it. Mm-hmm. He's going to absolutely thrive and kill it. And that's I a love, lot of I what love he him did getting the year. ball on like a ball reversal and attacking a, a rotating oh, defense. It's beautiful. That is what he excels at. And that's the kind of role he needs. But with the Magic, they tried to make him they tried to make him Victor Oladipo. The last couple years of Victor yeah. Oladipo and it didn't it got it didn't work cuz he doesn't have that ability. Um and you saw him they went him to him consistently down the stretch of close games. It didn't work most of the time, but we kept try- they kept trying. Um, and I think that's where overall talent needs to be upgraded because I think Evan Fournier has a role in the NBA. And I think that the Magic aren't a talented enough team right now to say, well, Fournier, you got to hit the road, Jack. So you got to find more talent so he doesn't have to shoulder that kind of burden. Uh, as far as Alfred Payton goes, the first half of the season, you know, I mean, he was getting the same treatment that Scott Skiles gave him. Like DJ Augustine was just straight up stealing minutes from him. And DJ Augustine, a whole other story, but he didn't play really well this season at at all. So, I mean, that should say a lot about what Alfred Payton really was like the first half season. Second half was a lot better. Um, People like to talk about the triple doubles and stuff. I think a lot of that, and I'm not trying to, you know, take a lot of frustration on Alfred Payton, but like, a lot of those stats came from up upping the tempo. Yeah. And like and it just the amount of pure possessions that he was able to get helped him get those stats. And he was a decent player, but you cannot ignore the fact that he can't shoot, so the defense doesn't have to respect his shot whatsoever, and that he cannot stay in front of his man at all. Like as of a starting of every starting point guard in the NBA, I mean, he is near the bottom of guys on defense because, and and I hate to pile on, but he doesn't really do anything that well on defense. If we're being entirely honest, the one thing he can do is switch on to bigger guys. And he seems to defend the bigger, slower guys better, but he's so much smaller. It doesn't matter. I mean, you saw the magic do a lot of switching at the end of the season. And that's, and that's a Frank Vogel hallmark. Yeah. And I think, and and he didn't do it to start the year though. Like I I didn't feel like they did anyways. And I feel like a lot of that had to do with the fact that Alfred Payton was just getting blown by on by every play. He's always trailing his dude in the pick and roll. Always. Like, I don't know what it is. He doesn't even stay attached to the hip. He just kind of falls back and just kind of watches up and waits to see if there's going to be a rebound opportunity. It's just, it's a, it's a bad spot. And like, I think he's a great backup point guard. And if he improves his defense, I don't even care about his shooting. I can deal with one of the shooting or the defense. I can't deal with both. And the defense is definitely a bigger issue. So, I mean, I think, you got to look at across the board, especially with where they're slotted at the draft. I mean, point guard and a wing scorer is something that needs to be heavily looked at at those two positions. And it's a good spot for him for it because it looks like there's, there might be some there. Yeah, and, and I think when it comes to Peyton, I think he made a good point about the style of play uh, and, and the carryover from last year with Skiles. I think where Peyton was really successful as a rookie was the Magic were playing a much more up-tempo style, uh, under, especially under Borrego. Uh, and a little bit under Vaughn. And then Skiles comes in, and he's running a much more precise offense where it was a lot of cutting, a lot of timed passes, and and Peyton was spending a lot of time off the ball. And and that was very similar to how the Magic, I think, played at the beginning of the year, especially with the two bigs. Um, There there just wasn't the space for Peyton to attack and and find opportunities to to get into the lane because while players are playing well off of him, Peyton's really good at taking that space. I mean, that's something that you have to be able to do uh, if you're a non-shooter, you have to be willing to attack that space and, and cause the defense to collapse and kind of make them guard you a little bit more. Uh, and, and the Magic, after the All-Star break, when they opened up the floor a little bit with some shooters, finally gave Alfred Payton that space to attack. Um, he couldn't really do that when there were two bigs in the paint kind of clogging everything up. And, and um, you know, the, Payton just didn't seem like a good fit. And, and some in the same ways that DJ Augustin doesn't seem like a, a great fit for the speed sped up offense because Augustin's a, a much more kind of control the pace type of guard. Like he can run a little bit, but I think his value is more, especially in in the open more open offenses, more as a spot up shooter rather than as a point guard. He's not going to break guys down off the dribble the same way Peyton could. And so I think after the All Star break, we really saw how Peyton can be successful within an offense. But as you know, I kind of noted a few times during his triple doubles. 
he was giving a lot of the points and a lot of the production back that he was doing during the triple doubles. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't want to say they were empty stats, but the proof is also in the pudding that the Magic still have lost the majority of games where Alfred Payton has gotten a triple double. Yeah, I mean, in the what seven eighteen post All Star break, and that's what you know. If you're gonna be generous, you could say he was playing great, and they went seven eighteen. Then I mean, I'm just gonna tell you that I'm skeptical that it was great. <laughs> that's yeah. just my opinion on, on as far as that goes. But and as far as like DJ Augustine goes, like I don't, I don't know, where I don't know. Anymore. I like, I feel like he should be a good open court player. He's extremely quick with the dribble, but his court vision is nil. Like yeah. I don't know. I, I never saw this version of DJ Augustine. I, I swear I didn't in like Denver or OKC where he just couldn't see the floor. But like, I think it was yesterday he tried to, uh, he got an offensive rebound and he held the ball and Mario clapped for the ball. He's wide open at the top of the key. No one's within like, I don't even know, 10 feet. And he just holds his hands there like Dion waiters and waits for DJ to pass the ball. And DJ just looks him off and then throws it. And Mario stands there with his hands there, just staring where DJ had the ball until he gets the ball finally and hits a three for like three feet behind the arc. And it's like, I, I, you ha- be willing to pass to in your open teammate. And I get it. Mario's been bad this year. Like I do, but come on. Frankly, frankly, a lot of people were looking off Mario uh, throughout, throughout the year. <laughs> um, I hate to say, uh, let's talk a little bit about Mario Zonia. Um, you know, I think there's guy, a lot man. of, he is the, the fifth overall pick. And so there's still a lot, there's, there's still a lot and probably rightfully so a lot of expectation on him. To, to deliver, um, what happened with Mario Zonia this year? Can can you put your finger on on his struggles this year and why he didn't seem to fit? Is it just a matter of he's a bust, or is, is there really is there something else there? I am. I want to be hesitant to call him a bust, but like, there's nothing you can say that was great about this season for him. I don't know how he can't hit shots. I don't know what yeah. happened. There's no you complain about him being on Barcelona's bench forever or whatever you want to. Uh, he even when he got to play in Barcelona, he hit shots when he played the in Olympics, the Olympics. The Olympics he hit shots. Summer, he hit shots. Like that yeah. was like he was a he was a, I mean I, I remember we were all sitting there watching the Olympics and begging Croatia to to put to him on the, the ball, ball more, just let him do more than be a spot-up shooter. But he played that spot-up shooter role really well. And I and then again, even last year for the Magic, I mean, he tailed off at the end of the season, but there were still respectable numbers. And I don't know what happened this season. Uh, the only thing I can say about this season uh, for him is that he showed massive improvement during the season on the defensive end. Um, and I don't know if that's to do with them switching into power forward. I think he showed improvement before that. It was when he first came back into the rotation. Yeah, he got a lot better at. One, I would say, rotating to where he needs to be the helper and getting to his spot in quick, uh, in became, quick time. He became a lot but, smarter with with his digs on the post, or or being in yeah. help side position to still get to his man, but also be in position to to steal and, the, and repel passes. Yeah, and then also uh, the thing that was killing him early on, and it was brutal, was that he would just always lose his man off yeah. the ball because he's always watching the ball, and yeah. it was bad. And that he got way way better at that because it was tough to watch but i mean so i mean i don't like the whole idea where everyone's like oh look let's go back and like oh they should have taken devin booker they should have taken miles turner listen miles turner went like what miles turner went 12 and okay and booker went what nine or whatever it was eight eight, nine ten somewhere in that there is a reason that other teams after the magic and before the magic pass on those players too it's not like the magic just suddenly decided that they were going to be the cool team and pick mario zonia no mario zonia was projected to go where he went and devin booker and Miles Turner went where they were projected to go because of the concerns everyone had. And not only that, the Magic needed shooting, and the consensus in that draft was Mario Zoni was the best shooter. Like uh, that was it. Yeah, that was the consensus. Like no one knew. I mean, Booker didn't. Booker came off the bench at Kentucky. No one saw Booker becoming this. And and I'm you know I'm still going to venture to guess. And and I'm not the biggest Devin Booker guy, but I'm still willing to guess that Scott Skiles buries Devin Booker. Because of his defense, like if the magic even if even if the magic had drafted Devin Booker, I just he's a like different player know. in Orlando because Skiles would demand defense, and if Booker can't play defense, he's not going to play him. Here's the thing for me on Devin Booker: a the Suns suck; they were worse than the Magic. So why are we pretending like he's some kind of game changer? And the Suns are more talented. Yeah. The Suns are more talented than the Magic. And he gets he gets more open looks by playing with Eric Bledsoe than anybody on the Magic gets because they're playing with a bunch of guys that aren't that great. And Devin Booker 
it still isn't that good. I mean, he's let's fun. Not, let's not turn this into the Devin Booker hot take podcast because no. we'll get a lot you're of right. hate, hate that way. But I know um, you're right. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm not saying. I mean, if you asked me today, would I draft Devin Booker over Mario Zonia? Of course yep. I would. Hundred yeah, percent. Hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty here. I mean, the draft. We'll talk a little bit about the draft in, in a moment, and in, in a little bit as we get into to the the bigger picture here. Um, but before we move on to that, uh, I I want to ask what your thoughts are on the the play style change that the Magic underwent after the All Star break. Because I mean, I found this really interesting, and I, and I tried to get at this a little bit during exit interviews, but the the way the team played before the break, before the trade, and after the break in trade, which is the same time, I guess, um, were just completely diametrically different. They were they well, were a, a you know kind of a below average pace team with two bigs clogging the paint before the break, and then after the break they started playing at a much faster pace. They actually ended, I think, in the top half of the league in pace this year. And they did, yep. Uh, just a completely different philosophy. And it was amazing to me how they changed so much in, in in really a week. So, I mean, in my opinion, and they should have been playing that way all along. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't have, and this is why I figured they would do it all season, you don't have the half-court players to be able to score in the half-court. So what do you do to compensate? You make sure you run at every opportunity to score as many easy points as possible. And that is exactly what they need to be doing all season long. The addition of Terrence Ross certainly helps because he can he run. I mean, he's great in the break. He's as good as on the break almost as Aaron Gordon, except he can sit back behind the line and take a three if he needs to take a three. And I think that building into this offseason, you need to be thinking that is your play style moving on. And I want to like it sounded like based on the exit interviews, Frank Vogel is on board with that. That's the way they need to play from here on out. And you need to diagnose the guys that don't fit that style. And there are certainly quite a few guys on the team that don't fit that style and they need to be gone and you need to get guys that can play in that system. And I don't even like Lonzo ball, but like that is Lonzo Ball's system. That is what he wants to be doing. And like I said, I'm not even a huge fan, but like if the magic can play at a high speed like that, that's a guy that is going to fit real well. Yeah. And I think, and I think what's, what's also really, really important uh, for, the magic moving forward is they've got to pick a style and kind of stick to it. Um, there, there was some success with how they played at the end of the season. At, at the very least, it was more aesthetically pleasing, which I guess is a step in the right direction too. Uh, but it's, and I think this is the best time to transition now to the bigger picture issues with the magic and, and five years with Rob Hennigan. Uh, <clears throat> um, Alex Martins. What? <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Um, but like, I think one of the bigger problems with with the Magic was they they spent a lot of time collecting just collecting assets, and and that's fine at the beginning of rebuild just to kind of rebuild the talent base. But at a certain point, you got to start tailoring a system to a specific style, and kind of I guess uh, to be frank, and, and some of this is just they didn't really have the player to do this yet. But you pick a player and build around him to accentuate his skills, and I think. Mm-hmm. One of the big issues that the Magic faced was their players they picked never complemented each other to begin with, which which is okay if you're collecting assets. But at a certain point when it's time to start winning, you need to build a team. And the Magic never built that team. It was always a kind of random assortment of, of pieces and players. And even this year's team, which was supposed to be a playoff team, everyone could see the pieces don't fit. But you know, I guess a lot of us thought that their their floor was a little bit higher, and that's that that's what gave everyone hope. Um, and it just it, it was never about making puzzle pieces fit. It was just about throwing them on the table and figuring it out. And I think that is a completely legitimate reason to fire Rob Hennigan. And like, I don't care what kind of pressure he faced. And like I said, I'm a huge apologist for him. But like, how could you put that team, this, especially this year, with all that cap space? And all the Freedens out there, how do you put those guys all together and think, yeah, you know, Jeff Green really compliments our lack of shooting well. Like, well, I mean, okay. in fairness, I think Jeff Green was, I mean, you can tell, I, honestly, you can tell by the contract they gave him. Uh, Jeff Green felt like a, we can't find anyone else to to, to play That's, this role to fill these minutes. So we've we got to go with someone and so, we'll throw a lot of money to make sure we get someone and, at least somewhat reliable or we hope somewhat reliable. 
And the funniest thing is, like, I was totally on board with Jeff Green signing. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, Jeff Green. I was like, that's a good signing, especially on a one-year deal because then if somebody, you know, if Mario if improves. Well, then yeah, <laughs> yeah and, then, and then, like, if Mario improves, then, like, yeah, we'll, we'll be better. But they didn't, and – I think the problem with this um, year was a lot of was all was all the risks the Magic took from uh, going after Serge Ibaka, going big, from signing Bismack Biombo, and again going big to relying on Mario Azonia, to moving Aaron Gordon to the three. Um, a lot of all those risks didn't pan out. And when it comes to GM, you are the sum of the risks you take. And if more of your risks don't don't work, you know, even if they're calculated risks that you can get out get out from pretty easily like the magic can and i still think i don't think the magic are in bad financial straits you know you get uh, you get you can hate rob hennigan all you want but give him some credit at least for not putting the magic into like a salary cap hell yeah like an otis smith hole like yeah. that we just that he had to that like had inherit to out of. <laughs> yeah i mean I, I think that's fair too because like there's still lots of flexibility in this team and like you've got guys, Vucevic is movable, Fournier is movable, Bismack Biombo might be the only unmovable contract, and we all know that all contracts are movable in the NBA now. Uh, it's yeah. just how bad are you willing to get rid of somebody? And I would say that Biz is the worst contract on the team, and I'm willing to eat an, at least another year of Biz just to see if he can improve because what he could have and, been is and, worth and, checking and honestly, out. And honestly, like I think, I think this year was 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 strange because there was such a huge cap spike. Um, I calculated it like Bismack Biombo is making 18 million a year, which is a lot. That's it's a lot in raw numbers, but the cap was what 97 this year. Yeah, they go up to 107 right this year. It's I going think. up to 101 next year. No, 101. Okay, it, 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 the projections came down, but um, essentially, Biombo was making roughly 12 and a half million dollars per year in terms of like per in terms of like the ratio of the cap. So if it were last year's cap, if it was a $72 million cap, um, the percentage of the salary cap his contract was eating up was equivalent to like a $12.5 million contract. So in essence, he wasn't he was paid, being paid probably a little bit more as a proportion of the cap than Vucevic, which is why I, I'm, not as cra- you know, I'm not as crazy about his contract as a lot of people are. It's just kind of that's what the market was bearing, and there's such a huge spike that you, you, gotta, you kind of have to go up with it. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I don't have a problem like hanging on to him, and I don't think the Magic need to really concern themselves with him because I think he is a relatively good backup center, and honestly, I think on this team, he would have been a lot better with the starters, especially the second half of the season. We got to see a little bit of it, but he makes a lot more sense as a guy that you have four shooters around, or I mean, and sorry, Alfred Payne's not a shooter, but like, and then he just gets, there's open space. He picks, he sets a pick, he rolls hard, there's space for him to roll hard. It opens up either the either the guy that got the pick, the handler is going to get it, or Biz is going to get it, and because he he's such a good pick setter, which a t- the team needed that really yeah. badly. Yeah, um, and it was noticeable immediately how much better, how much more free he got guys open earlier in the year. Yeah, absolutely, and like I feel like he fits well in a system like that. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be angry next year starting him as the center if you get a point guard that can shoot. Um, if you, and if so you I don't, build build the right. Uh, the right he can uh, run. group around him. He can yeah. run too, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, like, and, and, and if the Magic are really committed to this this fast-breaking style, at least now they have now they know what they can target. Exactly, and I hope that I hope that's really the takeaway too. Like, and we've been talking about, it. I hope that's what they take away from all of this season is that that's the style you need to go with, and let's just let's just run, 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 run. And that's what Mike Dean. That's why I wanted Mike D'Antoni so bad because yeah. he can make marginal players look a whole lot better in his system because they just they have confidence. And they've got the, the green light to shoot whenever they need to, and I think that helps a lot. I think I think this team running the Mike D'Antoni system would have been uh, would have been would have been an adventure. Adventure because they just don't have the shooting for it. Um, you weren't ready for the twenty points per game, Mario Hazonia, but that's fine. That's all right. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm not ready for that at all. Like, <laughs> I, I I get yelled up yelled at enough about Mario. Um, <laughs> again, pulling pulling the, the the microscope back a little bit to take a look at the bigger picture. Um, by the, by the time this gets published or shortly thereafter, you can go to OrlandoMagicDaily.com and read uh, Zach's article on the end of the process with Rob Hennigan. Um, you know, we talked about the team never really developing a fit, uh, never kind of having that be a, a guiding principle for the team. It was just kind of a collection of talent. But uh, when you look at the last five years, 
where did things go wrong for for Rob Hennigan? I think I think there's a pretty clear turning point that that I'm sure you'll you'll discuss here. But <sighs> yeah. Where did, where did things go wrong for Rob Hennigan? Well, I mean, I guess we could start small. Uh, the hiring of Jock Vaughn didn't turn out. I mean, I'm not going to blame the guy. I mean, I didn't like the Jock Vaughn hiring to begin with, but like, I'm not going to blame the guy for missing. He went for a guy that was going to be a, a positive mentor for younger players and to just you know coach his way, hopefully, to, to be a good coach since he has been the Spurs assistant. Um, but his X and O's, his X and his O's were, were awful, and, and that's, that's ultimately what got him fired. His schemes, they were all bad but you can always say that the young players I – I don't think I ever doubted the young players having confidence under Jock Vaughn. Maybe Maurice Harkless because he got a little benched for Willie Green for that year, and that was fantastic. I'm still, I'm still like, upset about that. Yeah. I'm, still, I'm still a little bit ups, upset about how they handled Mo, Mo Harkless. It didn't, it didn't the make the first time he played against Minnesota, I was like, I can't remember the last time the Magic had a player this athletic. I, and I just could still mold. How bad do they need a player like that right now, too? Which oh, is the worst part. <laughs> like they just need one of those kind of guys so bad, and they gave him away, two of them away. Yeah. Um, but uh, the bigger one and the more important one is when they hired Scott Skiles. Uh, and I should bring up this morning, and this is interesting, but in the Orlando Sentinel, Joss Robbins wrote the article, wrote his article about Rob Hennigan fired, and initially in his article, he had noted that. Uh, the Magic hired Scott Skiles um, against the I, – I believe – I don't know what the exact wording was. I think was, it was but over it was, Hennigan's objection was, was how yeah, it was Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hennigan objected to the hires, and it was at Martin's – Alex Martin's insistence. Um, so right there is your key turning point. Uh, why Alex Martin's is getting involved in hiring a coach after – and taking basically undermining your general manager, which oh hey by the way I wrote that article yeah, when Skiles was hired. You did, um, and the, it obviously it never went away. I mean now you look at the Tobias Harris trade and goes well how much? I mean before we we could have figured it was Skiles, but now you go well that's almost certainly Skiles right because all all Scott Skiles had to do was go over Rob's head and talk to Alex Martins and have him talk to ownership and be like hey let's trade Tobias Harris away for crap. <laughs> so like. Now I think I, mean, I don't think fairness, it exactly fairness, I don't think way. it was trading I don't think it was trading Tobias Harris for crap. I think it was no. it was Hennigan made a Hennigan came up with a plan. I don't think it was a good plan, but there was if there was a directive to trade Tobias Harris, he was like, "Well, the Flexible. offers on the table, I don't like any of them. I'm just going to go for cap room." Cuz uh, to me I to me that trade true. was just cap room. It wasn't about anything else. I think if you look at it, I think what happened was like Skiles is like, "All right, well, we need to make a change and Tobias is a problem." And then Rob gets in there and is like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll oblige. We need to trade Tobias. But I, I, I'm i not just going to trade him for whatever. And like you said, then he's like, all right, well, my plan is I'm going to trade him for the cap space that we basically just paid him. So And then it ended up being that. It's still a terrible, I mean, I think, I think terrible asset. Came, I, think. I think when it came down to it, and, and, and you know, this is I think this is within Skiles' MO. I don't know if this is how he felt or not. But Skiles was always, is always a win-now coach. Um, he... You know, my my perception of him was he didn't think too much further ahead than the next few games, and that's okay. You kind of want that in a coach. You kind of want a coach that's that's really just in the weeds and is only thinking about the next game. Your GM though needs to be thinking about the big picture, and yeah. uh, I mean, if Scal if the Skiles hire went down the way we all believe it went down, which I, I think there's there's ample evidence that it that at least at least it was at Martin's suggestion that he at least look at Skiles. Um, then yeah, Hennigan's legs were cut out from under him, and well, and at an important point in the rebuild, the Magic kind of gave up agency to their to their to the guy who's directing them. And I think too, like, and this is uh, to go with earlier the story earlier this morning. Uh, afterwards, when they edited that story, that whole blurb was gone. Um, so like, why would that blurb be gone unless I don't know somebody made a call and was like, hey. You don't don't leave that up. I like mean, or, that, or an editor said, you know, how do you know this? And you know, you can't prove it. I mean, it's still you, you reporting. It's still reporting. I mean, the number sure, one, the number one rule. That, I mean, the number the first thing I learned in, in journalism school was, um, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll just so go like, as far as saying is like I trust Josh Robbins when he wrote his initial story. Yeah, I don't know what happened afterwards, but I'll just say I that trust, I trust. I trust him. Josh too. Like if he yeah. if he puts something in the paper, it's it's true. I mean, he's. I mean, he's pro- 
in, in an age where everyone's trying to be the first to publish something on Twitter, he will take the time to make sure it's right before before going after it. Yeah, and and then I guess you know if we're going to continue on to, to the rest of the process. I think that point right there is where Alex it be, Martin it no longer just, became about the future at that point. It wasn't about the process anymore. It was about all right. Well, I guess it's time. Let's uh, you know mentality shift. And like I don't the idea that you hired a general manager based on the idea of following his process because he sold you on that idea and you were all in for it. And then you abandon it because of a head coach that he didn't hire. And I think that's where everything went downhill. And if you look at the way everything went after that hiring happened, I mean, it certainly looks like that's how everything started going downhill. Yeah. And, and um, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, about the plan and whole, but there, there is always a time where ownership's going to put pressure because at the end of the day, a general manager can have a brilliant plan to make the team better and be willing to say, be patient. It's working. You know, we're making progress. And, and I think the Magic made progress. I mean, to go from they, – they improved their win total every year leading into last year. So it, it, even if you would say, oh, it's been four years. They need to make the playoffs. There was still progress. I, I think if you afforded Hennigan a little bit more patience – they would have continued on an upward trajectory. Now, maybe they would have hit their ceiling at some point, and and I certainly think they were at a point where they needed to take a risk like the Victor Oladipo trade that they took. I'm not obviously that the risk didn't turn out, but they were they were in a position to take a risk like that. Um, but they were on the upswing still. But at the same time, ownership was clearly saying we're getting restless. We need to win, and a general manager works for the owner. He works for someone and his bosses were telling him to, to do something and as a GM you've got to be able to deliver even if it's not according to your plan perfectly you've still got to find a way to build that culture that you want to build but still deliver what your bosses are telling you to do and and you know we all and most of us work work for a living bosses yeah. sometimes ask for ridiculous things and if you can't deliver you know you get still punished yeah. you, you still, still get punished, get punished. Yeah. yeah and and I I think that's what we we're talking about earlier. Like, it is completely okay that they fired Rob Hennigan. He did things that deserved to get him fired. And even if he was, they abandoned his process, and they did. I mean, but he, his version of trying to make things work—that was a fireable offense. And that's that's plain simple. I mean, it, you can even go before everything went downhill. I mean, almost every signing he made. It, it blocked his youth movement, which didn't make yeah. any sense because that's what the idea of his entire process was supposed to be about was player development. And that's a whole other issue, by the way. Our player development staff, I don't know how good they are. I don't. It's a, it's I, a, honestly, I mean, it's a good question. We wrote, we wrote about that on the site a month ago or so. Yeah, and it's a great point to bring up because how much real progress have you seen from most of the guys that have been here for this long time? I mean, we sat, honest we to God. For, we sat here for two years saying, when is Victor Oladipo going to make the star leap? When is he going to start being able to navigate screens? Oh, hey, look, nobody on the team can navigate screens still. Yeah. And now, I don't know if, like, I didn't watch Victor enough this year in OKC to know if he learned how to navigate screens, but I did watch him play enough to know that he improved defensively, which was kind of odd. I didn't know. I mean, maybe he's got and, more and energy. In fairness, and in fairness, like, you'll you'll see this. It's not just a, an Oladipo thing. I think I think Ibaka, to some extent, we, we experienced that, that, that this year. When guys are playing meaningful games, they step their games up. Um, yeah, I think that's... as the Magic fell out of the playoff race pretty early, um, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that Ibaka checked out, but the motivation to play at a high level decreased. I mean, let's just leave it where it's at. I mean, yeah. there was a certain period of time where Serge Ibaka this season was no doubt Orlando's best player. Yeah. And then there was a time where that was very much in doubt. Um, so was he the most talented player this season? Yeah. Was he always the best player? I would definitely say not so much at all times, but and I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, like, oh, well, and at some point he's got nothing to lose. He's like, well, why even bother playing so hard? Because they're going to trade me anyways. So I better just keep myself healthy so I can go help out my next team. Get, get my and numbers, it's good. Get my numbers and, and check it and, yeah. and do, yeah. don't, and it don't was, do anything crazy. It's good for him, too, because, I mean, he, he Toronto's a great fit for him. Toronto's a great fit for him, too. And yeah. it's good. I think it worked for everybody. I think everything turned out the best for everybody. 
I mean, besides the fact that Oladipo is an OKC. But other than that, I think it turned out pretty well for and both even sides. That, as even far then, as... like, I think Oladipo and OKC is better because, like, like so much with the team, I think a lot of guys were played out of position or played out of out of their preferred role. And, uh, you know, we had two years of Oladipo where we were begging him to make the star leap, and he never did. And so playing him as the primary guy clearly doesn't work. Playing him off of Russell Westbrook as the second guy or kind of, and, and I love how Oklahoma City staggers their lineup so that Oladipo is leading the bench unit. That is a perfect role for him. And his production is virtually the same as it was last year, but everyone would say Oladipo had a better season this year than he did last year. He was uh, he was more efficient, I believe, this yes. year. Um, but the thing for me, too, is like you got to remember last year, and the same thing happened last season when the Magic traded Harris. And I don't know why it happened last year when they traded Harris, but their tempo picked up hugely in the second half of last season, too. And Oladipo was tearing it up in that up-tempo system. So I would love to have seen him in this up-tempo system to see how he could have played. Because I'll, I'll be honest, nobody on the Magic, and we all think, I think we all know this, but like nobody on the Magic is really a bona fide number one option sure. on offense. <laughs> yeah, and so like I would love to see guys that are you know maybe not number one options, but number three, number two options. Uh, okay, I guess for the Magic, we're probably talking about three or four options. But like <laughs> I, I would love to see them put up more numbers in a high pace system, get confidence going. I mean, they're obviously Aaron Gordon is a great transition player. Mario Hazonia for all his faults. And at times this year, he was kind of not great, but he's a, he's normally a pretty good transition player. Alfred Payton is a spectacular transition player. Hazonia is a great transition. Yeah. And I mean, we've got lots of players on this team that are good transition players. Terrence Ross, um, we already mentioned Aaron Gordon, but like they're all good transition players. So I think, Again, we'll get back to that again, but like I think that's that's why you want to play that style because we've got the kind of players we need, and I would have loved to seen, like I said, Oladipo in that style of play. But you know, so the time so passed. was was the problem? I mean, was the problem for the Magic then that Hennigan kind of picked the wrong style of play for the roster that he had built? Like, and I think I mean I, I think one of the issues with with Hennigan and, and in the five years here ha- was that he was very kind of dogmatic to his vision and his plan. And didn't have the flexibility to shift when things changed. When when the lottery didn't go his way, he kind of stuck with it. Like, oh, you know, we won the lottery. We're going to keep kind of moving forward in that way instead of saying, okay, we didn't win the lottery here. You know, maybe we need to force things a little bit. Maybe we need to take a little bit of a risk on on someone on someone new. Or, okay, this is the group that we have. How do they fit together? What do I? Who do I need to? You know, how do I need to build around this group? what parts they need to get rid of to make sure that they can succeed rather than just kind of continuing on with like, okay, we've got this team. We'll make it work somehow. Well, I think he definitely chose the wrong style this year because I, I think that he was obviously the main guy behind the Ibaka trade. And I think without trading Vucevic, he forced his team into a style that had to be played by Frank Vogel. Uh, and Vogel proved in the second half of the season when you didn't force him to play that way, he certainly was willing to play a completely different brand of basketball and it matched up with what Vogel said when he was hired, that that's what he wanted to do. Um, and I think before this, I don't think there was really any kind of style of play. I think the coaches more really dictated the style of play. Um, but I think the roster moves this year kind of forced Vogel at the beginning of the season into a style of play. So, yeah, I would sure, say it's fair sure. to say that he chose the wrong style this year. Um, and, again, I think that's part of uh, Hennigan's flaws as a GM. Uh, he wasn't a very good team builder regardless of any kind of pressures he faced from management, he wasn't a good team builder. And I don't think it's fair to say that he was in any capacity, a good team builder. He's a great talent evaluator and I would love him as a scout. And or even he's assistant a, GM. Yeah. He's a smart guy and he'll probably be a general manager again one day and he probably will deserve it. So, I mean, I, I wish him the best, but it, it, it's a reasonable parting for all parties involved. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, uh, and you know it'll be interesting to see uh, what direction the magic go. And I guess uh, oh. we'll close this. Huh? I, I was gonna say, oh, well, yeah, you know, talk about uh, Doc Rivers or Pat Garrity or Grant Hill. Goodness you know, gracious! I, I don't know what's gonna happen next. Like I'll I'll I'll, I'll say that. Um, I, I think that. You know, I I think for now, I I think we'll focus less on the names because because I do think Martin's is right. We're not gonna see any movement on the general manager front until some teams are eliminated from the playoffs. Um, just because well, that's, that's, where, that's where the talent is. That's where the GM talent is. They're in the playoffs right now. Um, but I guess moving forward, 
and, and it's hard to say this, and it's hard to like pinpoint this because uh, there's a lot about the GM position that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, yeah. Honestly, um, you know, someone someone on online today asked me asked you know why are the Magic even bothering to keep Matt Lloyd on staff? And it's like, well, there's they still need someone keeping the chair warm. They need they have draft prep they've got to do. They've got to you know there's still some management stuff they have to do. And while Vogel probably will have a bigger voice in in all of this than he might have otherwise, and, and it's great that they're they're at least giving Matt Lloyd a, a look, kind of like with what they did with James Borrego. Because uh, Matt yeah. Lloyd is is a fantastic scout and a fantastic uh, fantastic staffer and um, is close to ready for a, a general ma- and is probably ready to be a general manager somewhere. Um, I don't see the magic uh, ever. Uh, I don't see the magic keeping anyone from the previous staff just for an optics, oh, no. for optics reasons. Yeah, um, they're washing their hands clean of that. Yeah, they got They just got to move on. And I don't see them going to Troy Weaver from Oklahoma City, who's probably the guy who's most ready to be a general manager in the league, <laughs> yeah. uh, besides uh, Mike Zarin from Boston. Uh, but what are the qualities that the Magic need to look for in a GM coming off of the past five years, where you know they had a guy who was relatively young, some new ideas, um, but couldn't execute them? I think, and I don't know, like. I think the most important thing, and I don't know if this is an actual thing that is relevant, but I think you need somebody that's got really good relationships with agents and with other general managers, because I think the way that you're going to need to fix this team, it's going to require a lot of cooperation from other teams and trades. And I think that, and in three of agency as well. So I think that's the biggest thing I would be looking for. Like, yeah, all right, we've got the pick this year. Well, let's be honest. Most of the, I mean, if you miss on a pick this year, you you just got unlucky. Like, let's like if you picked Jonathan Isaac fifth overall, like, uh, like I wouldn't even be mad. But if like he turned out to be a bust, all right, well you got unlucky. If you picked Darren Fox, turned out to be a bust, well you got unlucky. I can't be mad that you picked those players. Um, so I don't wouldn't worry too much about that. And in the future, you hope that it's not really about the picks early on the primary picks. So I would just worry about somebody that's really experienced in the league and has good uh just good contacts and all that kind of stuff the the stuff that you don't normally hear about really for their gm yeah that, i think that's really what's important because yeah, i don't think I rob think, had those things. i think i think you're right i mean uh it, it was i mean it's it's good to see some young some new blood gets get an, get an opportunity uh but i do kind of think rob hennigan was too young and too inexperienced to do the job Properly, and and Scott Perry was there to help too. Uh, you know, I think that was one of the reasons they had Perry in the front office. So a lot of people see Perry as, as a potential future GM as well. Um, but I, I I agree. I think not having those relationships established with agents and, and with especially even other GMs was yep. a big part of the problem. Like you know, the, it's a giant game of poker with other GMs, and sometimes you got to be you know. And, and I think one of the issues that Hinky even had. Was he was just pilfering other GMs and no one and everyone was afraid to deal with them at a certain point. I mean, the Spurs get around this somehow, where you know they win every single deal that they make because they're the Spurs. But teams are usually a little bit afraid to deal to deal with them because that if the Spurs seem to know something, everyone else doesn't. And sometimes you have to make a deal to set up another deal down the road. Sometimes even with agents. I mean, we saw this kind of with the Dwight Howard fiasco. The Magic, to, to try and gain favor with Dan Fagan, uh, Dwight's agent at the time, signed Jason Richardson to a ridiculous four-year deal that, that they didn't need to sign Ugh. him to. Um, sometimes you make little deals with agents like that where they'll, you'll sign a lesser-known guy to your summer league team even or, or to, to, to end of the end of the bench uh, on a uh, – uh, uh, in training camp to, to try and just kind of build some rapport and build some favor. And, you know, the Magic, I, honestly, I think they didn't use 10-day contracts well. They didn't use the nope. D League well. They didn't make those little moves that you make sometimes that aren't necessarily about what's going on on the basketball court, but what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, and I think that that was definitely a, a, a negative from Hennigan. Not necessarily a, a negative, um, but it was something that Hennigan wasn't strong at or, or you know hadn't built up, and, and it hurt him uh, in the long run for the team. It did, and um, I think it's it's great that I think because I think there's a lot of things that he did do, like you know, behind the scenes, like he got the Magic their own D League team. Yeah, that push that was a, that was a big like, thing. Yeah, that's going to be huge in the future. Like it would have been great for him to profit off it, but you know what? The Magic going to profit off of that D League team in Lakeland for the rest of their existence. Sure. Uh, even and, even as a, even as a business incubator too. Like I, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how the Magic use that. Like the the 
the president of the of the of the of the Lakeland Magic um, is a former Magic, you know, kind of junior executive, and I think she, I, th- I, you know, she's she's been around the team. Like they want to put her in a position where she's going to kind of grow into a management role eventually for either the Magic or, or beyond as well. Yeah, and I mean other things too. Like I, you know, he had the magic invest in a lot of sports science, a yes, lot of analytics and stuff like that, and that's going to help the magic from here on out. So there are some really good things that he did bring to it, to the magic, but those really small, um, more personal connections and kind of things, I think you could say that it hurt them a lot. Like I really do. I think you could see like I bet there's a probably a ton of moves the magic were trying to make at all times, and I don't think. A lot of them didn't come to fruition because he didn't have those kind of contacts. Yeah, and 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 I, again, I think being a little bit too dogmatic, um, not being willing to deviate from the plan when an opportunity arose, I think hurt him too. Um, you know, we 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 can. You know, I don't want to talk too much about the the Demarcus Cousins rumor again, but <laughs> yeah, but like when stuff like that pops up, I mean, you need to deliberate, you need to consider it, and if you come to a decision that you shouldn't do the deal, you shouldn't do the deal. Um, that's fine, but at, also at a certain point, you need to you need to be willing to say, um, you know, it's time to strike. It's time to take a risk. And, and again, maybe the Magic did that when they traded Victor Oladipo for Serge Ibaka. They said, this is the risk yeah. we're going to take. And when you take a big risk like that, you are pinning your future to it. And if it doesn't work out, you end up you end up on the chopping block, which which is which is clearly what happened. What yeah. happened. Um, I, I think that just about does it you know we're obviously the five years the past five years of the magic have been rough um the worst as as martin said in his in his press conference today or thursday um the worst five-year stretch in magic history it's the longest playoff drought in magic in magic history the longest without an all-star in magic history not all of that is rob hennigan's fault but uh, unfortunately i think that's going to be his legacy and i think it's kind of unfair i i because I, I want to tell you, I mean, and this is the thing that the Magic needed to do, need to learn from this entire thing, is that people, you need to be patient, first of all. And second of all, if you're going to hire somebody to do a job, let them do their job and let the basketball minds make the basketball decisions because that's extremely important. I've seen the Kings, uh, the Knicks right now are a disaster. Two I, I mean, Phil Jackson. I could I, I and I thought the Magic had the worst news. I saw of the day. I saw and that headline happens. and I'm like, what are the Knicks doing? I I know. And then at the, at the same time, like Carmelo Anthony had a curse filled tirade and like yelled at an assistant coach. And like, yeah, this is fine. Everything's fine in New York. Don't worry. Um, so like, hey, it could be worse, Magic fans. You could be the Knicks. Um, so like, yeah, I I just think the important thing for the Magic is to. I mean, I don't want. I'll just say it. Uh, Alex Martin just needs to hire a president of basketball operations and let that person handle basketball operations. And Alex Martins can continue to do, uh, handle the finances and yeah. the business side of he, it. He because does well, he does well at that. I mean, the magic, he, the magic innovators and in, self in tickets. Area. Absolutely. He, he can definitely do that job any day of the week. Um, but please don't do basketball <laughs> decisions anymore, please. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think the magic, I think the magic need to try to return more to the structure they had, uh, when Bob Vanderwide was the was essentially the liaison between ownership and and the team, you had Alex Martin's running the business side, and you had uh, at the time Otis Smith running the basketball side. Um, I think that structure really worked for the Magic, and Martin's is going to be the CEO. He's he's not going anywhere. He is the liaison between ownership and the team. So he's he is for all. In, I mean, the DeVos family owns the team, but Alex Martin's is the day to day owner of the of this basketball team. Um, that is what people need to understand right yeah. there. People yeah. need to understand that he is basically the owner of the magic. Cause like, you know what happens? Whatever, whatever Alex Martins is going to suggest to ownership. That's probably much as good as done. Yeah. And, so, they, trust, and they trust him. And, and yeah, absolutely. As, as bad as, as much as the product on the floor has struggled, the magic are flourishing business wise. Um, that like literally that they're, I mean, they're innovators in some, in some of the ticket programs that they've done over the last few years that the fast break ticket program, um, is really a, a big innovation. Um, the the entertainment complex is going to be a huge money maker for the for the team. Uh, he is doing a lot of the things that that his job asked him to do. The only thing, the only piece that's missing with him is the general manager, and or is not the general manager is is the performance on the on the floor on the on the on the 
court. On the basketball yeah. court. Um, but at the same time, attendance was up this year. The Magic had – I think the Magic actually ended up with, with officially, whether it's real or not, officially more sellouts this year than they did last year. Um, oh, well, that's, know, that's... I, I'm not buying the attendance figure they gave us last night uh, or, or, or two nights ago on Wednesday when they claimed to have the largest crowd in Amway Center history and the largest crowd for a Magic game, Magic home <laughs> game in history. But, but for a 29-win team, they sold out their final two home games. Yeah, they sold out those tickets. Like, like okay, people probably Saturday, didn't show up, but they Saturday sold out. Saturday wasn't sure was a sellout. Wednesday was definitely a sellout. It was a good atmosphere. And there are a lot of people who think that, that the Magic have lost their fans, and especially if you live in Orlando, there is definitely a lot of Orlando City momentum going on. Uh, there's no denying that. Orlando City kind of has a little bit more run of the city at the moment. I'm, I'm convinced that the Magic are in as good position as they can be with their fans, considering how bad the five years have been. And when, and I'm serious, when the team starts winning again, it's going to be as good as, it's going to be as good as it's ever been for the Magic, because I think fans are more invested in this team and passionate about this team. And that's why there's so much frustration and anger about how this season went. And tickets, you know, season ticket sales might be a little bit down because there's so much frustration going on. Uh, but once they get this, if you know, I, once they get this right, and they will get this right eventually, they're not. I don't think this is a team that's going to be down forever. Um, once they get it right, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a fun place to be again. I, I'm really convinced of that. That the Magic fan base is is kind of dormant and and just waiting for something to really cheer on to to wake up again. I mean, you can see the excitement when there are good things happening in the games, but I just think don't take it too far because if they're gone for as long as the Kings have been gone, yeah, that's that's uh, the patience. You're gonna break so much. Yeah, Yeah, you're gonna break the camel's back, and that's gonna that's gonna just be it for them. So hopefully, and this this has always been the way with with Magic fans. I'm not gonna rag on Magic fans too much. I'm not. I'm not Josh Robbins. I'm not gonna complain about the noise level at the Amway Center, Um, but. Sorry, Josh. Had to had to had to put that shot in. Uh, but um, <laughs> now I lost my point. Um, Magic fans have always wanted to cheer for something. Um, they they you know they they don't sh- not always maybe show up when the team is losing, but when the team is good, they show up and and they contribute to the to the team and to to the atmosphere inside their building. Uh, you know, I I really believe that. Um, we're not back in the T Mac era when the building was empty with one of the ten with one of the ten best players in the world. Um, at the time, if not one of the five best players in the world at the time, yeah. the building was literally empty. Like I would go to games every night, and that was a playoff team. Attendance this year for a 29 win team, and even attendance last year for a 35 win team was was probably better than most years with McGrady. I mean, and that to me that tells me the Magic are a little bit healthier than certainly than they were 15 years ago. Um, so I again like kind of like with a GM, GM usually gets a couple of coaches. Martin's hired, has been CEO since Bob Vanderweide resigned. So he kind of took over the team at the same time that Hennigan came in. Um, his first year as the CEO, as the head honcho of the entire team, as the liaison between ownership and the Magic, was the Dwight Marrier. So Rob Hennigan was his first general manager that he hired. It was the first time he went through that process as the, as the decision maker. This will be the second time. I think he'll learn some lessons, and hopefully he'll learn some lessons about how to manage that and kind of what he's looking for and the direction he wants to bring this team in. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily so dangerous that both Vogel and Martin said, we believe we're, we can win now. Um, getting a high draft pick is going to help you know, set some timelines as well, um, depending on where they end up with the lottery. Uh, but you know, I, I think as much as anyone, Martins will have learned some lessons too and will be a little bit more proactive with what he wants uh, in, in this general manager. I God, I hope so. Because yeah. I'll be honest with you, I don't have any any faith whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, until I see the president of basketball operations hired, I am gonna just yeah. wander under the assumption that we're still gonna be in some trouble until that happens. Yeah, and, and I yeah I I do think that that's the model the Magic should follow. Um, and you know, there's definitely some scenarios where they they go that route. Um, you know, I don't know if eventually they will. Um, some of it might honestly depend on whether they're willing to pay two guys to to do that job. Uh, essentially, or to have a basketball. No, I mean literally. Like, think of the finance. Yeah. I mean, it's a finance thing too. Yeah, you pay that's just for the guy operations and and a GM. That's that's you know two new guys on payroll. Um, Zach, uh, I want to thank you again for coming on to the show and talking a little bit about the magic from the last 
uh, five years and, and kind of recapping this season as well. Um, your article on the end of the process uh, is up on should be up on Orlando Magic Daily early Friday. Uh, everyone should be sure to check that out. And and Zach, uh, where can people find you on on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at uh, former Tate Commander, and that is F M R T A N K. Uh, I think it's maybe O M M M N D R. It's not fully spelled right, but that's where you'll find me, and you'll find it under that article that you should definitely read because it's very very well written and it's worth your time. He's not just he's not just blowing smoke. It, it it's definitely well written. <laughs> um, it's a good look back on the past five on the past five years and, and where things have gone wrong because, um, you know, I I don't know where you sit on this, and we're both we're both kind of Rob Hennigan apologists a little bit, but uh, I do give the Magic credit for committing or trying to commit to a long term plan, something that they've never really done in their franchise. Uh, and I think that they had the right idea with all this. Obviously, just the execution. Uh, kind of fell flat. The idea was lovely. I loved. I loved the idea of building through a draft and playing young and all that. That's a. It was a great plan. Uh, player development didn't work so well, and I like I said, I think they abandoned it a little too early. But I, the idea initially of hiring that and going after that model is a good model, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, we'll and we'll see what happens next. Of course, uh, we'll have the whole off season to do this. We'll have to do this uh, before the season uh, or a little bit uh, during the summer as well, as uh, we get yeah. through uh, what should be which should be a really intriguing summer for the Orlando Magic. Uh, you can, of course, follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Magic, as well as on Facebook, like us at Locked On Magic. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed on iTunes, Audio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, all the fun places that you download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Next week is our official season recap week. We'll be doing uh, what went right, what went wrong uh, throughout the entire week next week on OrlandoMagicDaily.com, as well as on Locked On Magic, so be sure to check those articles as well as those podcasts out next week as we're kind of kind of start winding things down and putting a bow on the 2017 season. Player evaluations will come after that um, so that you have that to look forward to. We're still going to be going strong every weekday here on the Locked On Magic podcast. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Daily. Be sure to drop us a line. Uh, let you know, Any questions you have, any complaints you have, I'm here to take the hate um, and uh, everything else. Uh, and uh, I think that'll that'll do it for today's episode. I want to thank everyone again for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the beginning of the NBA playoffs. Oh, before I let you go, Zach, who do you have yeah. in, in the playoffs? What do you, what, what's your oh, finals? I'm boring. Uh, Cavs and, and Warriors, and the Warriors will win. I know. I'm sorry. I wish I could be better, but that's that's all it's, I got. Zach, it's the NBA. It's, it's, it's the most predictable sport in, in all of sports, and yet we love it so very, very much. I've got the Warriors over the Cavs in six. Maybe five. We'll see how the Caps play by, by that. <laughs> um, for Zach Palmer, I'm Philip Rossman Reich. Be, uh, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, thank you guys for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all again on Monday. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.